What up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Outside the Box. It is the best podcast happening right now. It's about sneakers. It's about life. It's about everything outside of, I guess, the sneaker box for the most part. I am Jacques Slade, a.k.a. Cousteau. Uh, you probably see me on the web somewhere talking about sneakers. But this show isn't about me. This show is honestly about the two other guys that I have on the show because they are the brains behind this outfit. I'm just the guy that runs my mouth. And uh, heads up is my, my buddy, uh, Brandon. Go ahead and tell him about yourself, Brandon. Yeah, you're being a little too modest, Jack, but you're kind of killing it yourself. But appreciate the introduction. I'm Brandon Edler, content manager at Finish Line. Um, really glad that you guys have been tuning in. Appreciate all the comments everybody's give, been giving us. And I uh, want to kick it off over to my guy, Nick Engel. What up, guys? Uh, Nick Engel. Just, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just the third third wheel in this party, really. So He's the third wheel in every party. <laughs> Everybody, all lies, all lies. All these those guys are important. I keep, I keep trying to tell you guys these guys are really important. I'm lucky to be here myself. Uh, but today we're gonna go into a topic that uh, is, is fairly new, um, as the shoe je- was just released, uh, and it's the LeBron 13. Now it's crazy to think that LeBron has 13 signature shoes already. Uh, just saying that alone makes me feel old. Uh, but there's a couple things we want to talk about when it comes to LeBron 13. And um, I'm going to start this off with just talking about how much that shoe leaked before it was actually announced. Um, I, I'm, I'm so amazed still that shoes can leak so much before they're released. You would think that the companies would have a handle on this by now. Um, you know, Nick, you had a chance, the opportunity to work uh, at a retailer Um can you, can, do you know a little bit more about the process, the manufacturing, to how when you guys get it, and and all of those sorts of things that could kind of maybe how can we plug this gap? I mean, I think like the the process is well before it even comes close to retail. It's you know like as a retailer, you're probably only seeing that product. I mean, aside from samples, which you probably see six months, maybe even eight months out if you're lucky. Um, the shoes don't don't make it to a retailer until, you know, three weeks, four weeks at the earliest. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, like that, that is the challenge in, in all of it, you know, like you have the manufacturing always being in, you know, other countries and, and you don't really have the same kind of quality or the same kind of control standards that you would have, say, you know, in a retail store or in that corporate office where everything's done in one place. So, I mean, to me, like it's, it's something that's always going to be a problem. It's almost like, you know, there's been fake, you know, Louis Vuitton bags for as long as there's been Louis Vuitton bags. So, um, that's, that's my opinion though. I don't know. What do you think, Brandon? Yeah. I mean, Nick's definitely on point in terms of from a retailer standpoint. The shoes don't really get there that early. I think a lot of it happens from the manufacturing standpoint where it's in a plant. Somebody's going to get a hold of it that shouldn't. Or, you know, in this case, I think one of the first times we really got a good look at the shoe was when LeBron actually wore them himself out at an academy in California. Is that right, Jack? I feel like you were one of the first people to cover that. Yeah, he he wore them for the, uh, there was like a Nike basketball um, tournament out here. Um, they had some of the high, the top high school kids and out, out for like a camp. Yeah, so I mean, it's just getting into the digital age. It's impossible to really keep anything under wraps. I mean, you look at any shoe, any album, any movie, whatever, we tend to see it before it's ever supposed to be presented to everybody. And I mean, that's just the nature of the business is these companies making sure that they react to it as 
in the best way possible so that they don't ruin their marketing plan. But, you know, when it comes to Nike and a lot of big brands like that, I don't think they're overly worried about that stuff. It's just going to come with it. You know, I think they're prepared for it to a certain extent. And they just kind of keep pushing forward with what they had planned on doing because they realize that's the best way to really premiere it to everybody. All right. Now, call me call me cynical here, but I, I'm going to say that this these leaks are part of their marketing plans. I think that somewhere down the line, they realized stuff was leaking and it was like, all right, somebody gets some really bad carpet and really bad lighting and like a Blackberry and take a picture and put it on a site where they have to really look for it. And that's how the shoe first gets out there. And that's how they do their, um, what is it? Your, um, their focus groups, the internet focus group on the first look at a shoe from a Blackberry from 1988. So that's my, I I still miss my Blackberry. I don't know. I don't know why you have a thing against Blackberries, but you know, well, the back Blackberries were awesome for typing, but they sucked taking when it came to taking pictures. (laughs) I think we can, I think we can all agree on that. Um, So now, but, but now that LeBron has officially been unveiled, uh, the LeBron 13, um, Brando, what do you what are your what are your first thoughts after like seeing an official look at the shoe from Nike? Um, it's I think it's going to be a good performance shoe. I think in terms of what LeBron's going to be able to wear on the court and do something strong in it and not you know have the issues that he did a lot with the eleven. Um, it looks like a really good combination between what they've been doing with the LeBron signature series and what they've done with the Zoom Soldier. It feels like they kind of mesh that together, and this is what's come out of it. In terms of an actual style standpoint, I think they took a couple of steps backwards. I thought the 12 was really, really strong, especially in some of the better colorways. Uh, you know, the 8, 9, 10, 11, some people might feel a little bit differently about those. The 8, personally, I think did really well. But as far as the 13, I feel like they definitely took a couple of steps backwards. But you look at the innovation in the shoe, the technology and everything, you know it's going to be something that's going to perform really well on court. The 12, you know, I played in it a couple of times, put up at least two or three points a game in rec leagues wearing them. And, you know, they were they were unbelievable on the court for me. So I have to think, you know, Nike knows what they're doing, and the 13 is going to be a step forward for them there as well. So that's something that I, I was actually talking to, I think, both of you guys at some point in this last week or so, is, like, I feel like, I feel like if we have to buy a shoe and say, well, I'm not going to wear it casually, I'm only going to wear it on the court, isn't that, like, almost compromising as a consumer? Like, that's what made Jordan so great back in the day. Like you, you bought them, you played in them. They looked cool as hell off the court. They looked cool as hell on the court, and you thought you could fly because of them. You know, like, like is there? To me, it feels like there's got to be some sort of balance there because not everybody wants to look like they're a baller in the technical sense. You know, not everybody wants to have yeah. like you know, like knee braces on as they're walking around with their camo <laughs> shorts and Supreme shirt, like that doesn't really work. So how come, how come like new signature shoes have that kind of like asterisk by it, by all the YouTubers and bloggers and media, all of us do it. And I think we're all guilty of it at times where it's like, Oh, it's cool. I'd play in it, but it doesn't look good enough for me to wear off the court. Like how, what's going to change that? Or is it just a part of, going forward with sneakers now i think it's a part of going forward with sneakers now i think there's so many lifestyle options when it comes to sneakers now that like there's there's a segment for you know stuff specifically for basketball like like we didn't have nike sportswear back when jordan came out 
Like there was no Nike sportswear. There was just it was just Nike, and whatever they put out was I think was meant more to to bridge the gap. Uh, so to work to wear on and off court, and now with there's so being so many different shoes, like shoes are getting more. There's there's they're more segmented. It's a more more of a niche place for for sneakers now. It's like niche. Like you have your running shoes, you have your basketball shoes, and I think all companies try to make them in a way that they can be worn off court. But the more technically proficient you get when designing a shoe and catering to a player's needs, I think the less it's going to work for for off the court purposes. Um, now, obviously I'm not the style guy. Brandon's more stylish than both of us probably put together. So Brandon could speak to this as well, but that's kind of where I would say things are headed that as they get more technically proficient, the lifestyle aspect of those shoes is going to be sacrificed. Yeah, I think you're right, Jack. That's definitely the direction they're going in. And, you know, you spoke on it with the lifestyle, how that's, you know, transited into a completely different group by itself. You know, you look at Harden's likely going to get his own lifestyle shoe with Adidas. That's kind of the rumor. Obviously, Westbrook's getting his own lifestyle shoe. It seems like they're trying to find a way to hit both markets for people. I think the biggest thing that these brands need to take into consideration is yeah, there's a lot of kids buying up sneakers every month or however often they do it, but there's also a lot of people that aren't going to drop $200 on a performance sneaker and then another $150 on a lifestyle sneaker. And I think that's the biggest thing that a lot of people miss is you had that style and that basketball sneaker and it was affordable, whereas now these performance sneakers are getting up to $150, $175, $200. And once the kid gets that, they really don't have a whole lot left in their pocket to go out and grab the lifestyle stuff. So... You know, it's it's kind of tough, and you've seen how that's affected a lot of these signature shoes over the last couple of years. You're seeing them sit on shelves a lot longer. And, you know, we kind of talked about that a little bit last week with Jordan brand stuff in terms of just being way too many colorways, everything's oversaturated. But, you know, I think the price point definitely has something to do with that. That's why the Kyrie one's so successful. That's why the Curry one was so successful, because they had a price point where people were able to afford that sneaker, plus run out and grab another pair of shoes that they can wear off court and not feel like they're spending every last dollar that's probably going to be given to him for shoes over the course of the year. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think like, you know, it's almost like it's the modern day version of, you know, the $30 budget that I had back when I was a kid where it was like, I can't get anything that I really want for this price. But if I am smart about it, I can, you know, find some something discounted or something and get, you know, convince my parents to, to, to drop 60 and make me wear them for two years or something. Oh, there you go. I don't think I don't think I ever thought of that as a kid. That's a good idea. Oh, get me these, and I wear them for two years. Ultra oh, man. forces, man. Ultra forces. I did that. I did that like seventh and eighth grade, eighth and ninth grade, whatever it was. Repainted the soles. The air bubble was squeaking like crazy by the time those two years were up. But that's what you had to do. I had to help my I had to help my uncle do electrical work, so to get to get something decent back in the day. That's a good idea, though. That's a good idea. Um, so. LeBron shoes are typically big and bulky, and I feel like that trend is continuing. Um, how does I mean? Can we? I think part of the lifestyle for for other for for like Jordan and stuff, it, it didn't seem like his shoes were big. They felt more slimmed down and smoother. I mean, as they got further along into his line, they got bigger. But like those first, you know, those first couple of years, they seemed slim and small almost. Like they were all mid-cut, but LeBron's just seemed like his shoes were just getting bigger and bigger. And I know LeBron's a big guy. Um, 
but that just doesn't translate to me when it comes to lifestyle. And I think that's that's part of it as well. Like they're they're making these shoes for a guy that plays big. Jordan didn't play like a big guy. Like LeBron plays like he's a big guy, and Jordan didn't necessarily do that. And that that may have something to do with the whole lifestyle aspect as well. Um, something else I, I was thinking about the other day when I, when I was thinking about the LeBron 13 is it doesn't seem like this shoe has made a big leap from the 12 to the 13. It feels like a lot of the technology is the same. Like there's not really a, a drastic change as far as the design or the technology goes. Um, is this, is like Nike adapting like a iPhone, Apple sort of, sort of philosophy here where they go, okay, we have the iPhone six. It's going to be bigger and all this and then we have the 6 plus or the 6s where we do some technical things to it but we don't really change the way that the shoe looks um i feel like that wasn't the case with prior signature shoes like they the next shoe was always something drastically different to kind of get away from what you were used to and that kind of that in my mind helped push you to buy something else because you go, oh, this looks totally different, so it's a different shoe. But that doesn't seem to be happening with the LeBron from at least from the 12 to 13. Am I am I just way off base here? Am I just kind of making this up in my brain here? I mean, to me, the you know the I think you're I think you're absolutely right. I think there's a few things that kind of cause that. Um, you know, and I would look at like the LeBron seven and eight as you know like if a shoe was good and they didn't change much, that was it. You know, like the, the, the seven, the eight, the eight PS were, they were all very, very similar. So, you know, like, and really those are kind of, I think a lot of what you're calling like a bulky shoe. Um, that's kind of where that fell off with the LeBron line in my opinion. But I think like, you know, and this is just my personal opinion. I think there's like, there's been a constant kind of struggle with LeBron to get him a shoe that he feels comfortable in. And mm. part of that is that, like you said, he's, he's like, you know, he's a beast. He's a, a big guy, but he plays at speeds that are not, you know, like he's, it's not even, you know, fathomable for most people. So to me, I think that's the, the challenge. And I think like, you know, that this new shoe has, like I, we posted on the sneaker history Instagram, but like Todd Cravenci, uh posted up a picture from Nike talk back in 2002, 2003, which is a Jason Petrie shoe design and concept from back then that looks exactly like, not exactly, but you know, 90% like the shoe, the 13. And, you know, to me, it also like the first thing I thought when I saw it was the Hawk flight from like the late nineties that Gary Payton wore. So those those things I think like were, you know, elements that were almost like brought back, like, okay, well let's try this kind of thing. And I, do, I don't think that, I think part of that is like, you know, they're struggling with LeBron to find him a shoe that he's comfortable in. Maybe, you know, maybe like the whole idea and concept of this designer designs this athlete's shoe for the long term is not necessarily the right way to do it. It obviously worked with Tinker and, you know, Jordan, but it doesn't necessarily work with everybody else because all the other athletes, you know, have had shoes that didn't necessarily fit into their, you know, preference, I guess. So to me, mm -hmm. I think like those things play into it. And, you know, I don't know if there's a, if there's, there's probably other elements to that, but it definitely is something that I think, excuse me, that I think, uh, you know, 
we see in the design and part of it is because we see all the sketches and we see all of this, you know, marketing stuff and, and we're able to like dissect it so much now where we weren't before. Right. Yeah. We do have greater access to, to information from about the shoes from the shoes than we did back when, uh, things really when we first got into sneakers and I don't know I wonder if that would have changed the way our outlook on sneakers knowing all all that we know now or at least knowing the information that we know now um but let's talk a little bit about LeBron's legacy um do you you know we're talking we're at, we're at his 13th shoe I imagine LeBron's gonna play at least another five years I would I can see LeBron playing another five years he's what th this is his 13th year in the league maybe maybe even another seven years like Kobe's on his 20th year. Why I don't I don't see any reason why LeBron can't go for another, you know, 5 to 7 years. So that'll put him at 20 shoes if he's if he continues his relationship with Nike, which I imagine he will. Do you see, you know, maybe 10 years from now LeBron having some some retros? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know that there was some serious talks within Nike about retroing a shoe, I believe, 2 years ago. They were talking about bringing back the Zoom Soldier. I'm sorry, Zoom Soldier. The uh, I got, can't think of his first signature shoe for some reason. Um, Zoom Generation, I'm sorry. Yeah, the Zoom Generation, they were talking about bringing that back and possibly some other shoes. So it's definitely been on their mind. I, you know, I know me and Russ actually did kind of a back-and-forth piece, Russ Bengston, a back-and-forth piece at Complex. I kind of talked about reasons that they should bring it back, and he was kind of against it. And, you know, there's a lot of good reasons. You could do it. Got a lot of good reasons maybe to wait until after he retires. But either way, like, we know that there's still a pretty heavy market for his first couple of shoes. If you go on eBay, I'm pretty sure his first games still go for four or $500. So just like the Kobe Prelude pack where they dropped a bunch of his sneakers last year. or Was that two years ago? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm definitely getting my dates mixed up right now. Was that two years yeah, ago? I think it was two years ago. Yeah, yeah, I think it was two years ago. When they did that, how well that did, there was a lot of success behind it. And, you know, anytime you can do that, and if there's any storytelling, especially with him coming back to Cleveland, that definitely would have made a lot of sense. Um, so I think it's something that we will probably see before he retires. And, you know, I hope from a, a sneaker consumer that really would love to get my hands on the one, two, threes, and fours, you know, I'd love to get some of those shoes back in the rotation where I'm not wearing them on the blacktop, worrying about them crumbling after playing outside for 10 minutes. Right, right. Definitely. Nick, what, what, what was the first year that Jordan's retroed? Do you remember? 91. Nin, nin, no, 90, 94, right? His first uh, yeah, retirement. Yeah, his first year he retired. I'm sorry, 94. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think, so. I think that's the thing, too. Like, with, with Michael, you had these, these, like, almost, like, perfect times for it to happen. Right. And you had yeah. all those stories and, you know, oh, he's gone, so let's celebrate his legacy. And yeah, they were quick to jump the gun on it, but it's also just like a great way to make money and, and get us all hooked into those shoes. But, um, yeah. you know, I think like, I think with LeBron, we'll definitely see retro LeBrons at some point. And, you know, hopefully they, hopefully they do kind of like they did, you know, with the Kobe line where they're going to celebrate it in a way that's, in my opinion, where you're, you're really like putting an effort to make it nice and make it, you know, a super high quality, make it a big deal and, and tell that story because, you know, as much as I would love to have like a couple of those LeBrons from, from back then, I, I wouldn't want them if they were just like your average run of the mill retro quality, you know? Yeah. Have some sort of, and make them meaningful. I think that's what kind of separated the Kobe thing from every, 
from other retros is like there was a deep story behind each one of those retros or i shouldn't say retros that prelude pack as they called it um that that really tied to a personal story within kobe's life and like really these anchor moments i like to call in kobe's life um that made those shoes a lot more meaningful than just any other sort of sort of retro in general yeah and if if nike needs ideas they can hit up uh that that story that we did where we did concepts of the zoom generation on the complex sneakers channel a couple years back with you know a bunch of different inspirations i think we did 10 of them for for the 10 years or whatever so it's definitely like like to me like you hit the nail on the head it's like those those pinnacle moments in his career and you know obviously with lebron you have you know the first championship you have the you know the, the decision the south beach colorway you have you know the weeds all that stuff so there's yeah. a lot of opportunity there all right so so big question before we get out of here does lebron wear the 13 this year go ahead brandon yeah i think he does i mean again i think it's a good combination between the 12 and the zoom soldier which He's definitely favored the Zoom Soldier. He didn't have a whole lot of issues with the 12 last year. I think we're going to see a lot on the court. He seems to have really taken to it pretty well before the season's even started. He's been wearing it quite a bit. So it seems like something he's generally interested in. I think the one thing that I hope Nike doesn't get too focused on this year is doing a bunch of player-exclusive colorways that fans can't get a hold of. I think that kind of takes away from the appeal of the shoe. If you're going to release 30 colorways and he's only going to wear about four of them and then another 20 that never release. You know, me, as a, a 16-year-old basketball fan, why do I want to grab those colorways that's never even touched the court on his feet? It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, I would definitely agree. And I, th- I think we definitely see him wear them. I think that, the, you know, like you make a great point with the with the colorways. You know, it's, it's cool to have something that's slightly unique. But in my opinion, once you get to the point where you have, you know, so many different versions and, it's like they're so so minimal you know like it's almost like well you're just going crazy with nike id colors and to me i think it does take away from it if if there's if there's you know certain ties and reasons for him to wear it i think that it's it's great and it's important but when you have you know a home colorway and you have six variations of it it's it's almost overkill for for the 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 person that really needs to to be able to buy those shoes and that's like the 16 17 or 18 year old kids that are that are coming into this business and lifestyle really like that 16 to 20 year old consumer is the most important consumer for guys like us who work in this business and the business as a whole moving forward. So from him wearing the, the zoom soldier so much, and he seemed to favor that shoe a lot. The 13 does favor the zoom soldier a lot more than I think the shoes have in the past. So uh, I'm definitely hoping he's, he, he wears it and uh, looking forward to seeing him wear it on the court. And it would be nice if they release the colorways that he wears um, and kind of keeps it to those for the most part and and not go crazy with the colorways. Um, I think something that's unique about about Jordan in that sense is he pretty much wore the same colorways throughout the year. I mean, there's some variation, but for the most part, all his all those moments that we remember about him, he was wearing that same, you know, one of, you know, one of what, three colorways or something of a shoe per season. So that it'd be nice to see something return to that and have, you know, have LeBron wear that same colorway. I think kids would identify a little, identify with it uh, a bit more if they had that same, 
that same feeling of the same colorway and that wearing the same shoe every day. So shout out to Brandon for knocking that one out the park. Uh, all right, guys. So again, this is outside the box podcast where, you know, we talk sneakers, but we really try to look outside of the immediate sneaker world and provide you guys with some insight. And we also look for insight from you guys. So like Brandon said earlier today, thank you guys for the comments. We really appreciate it. You guys helping, helping making this show go. We appreciate everybody watching, listening on SoundCloud, listening on YouTube. Just thank you for listening. We definitely appreciate it. Um, I am Jack Slade. This show is all about the LeBron 13. So if you have something to say about it, let us know down in the comments. You can tweet me. I'm <clears throat> you can tweet me. I am at Cousteau on everything, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter, and all that stuff. But again, Outside the Box would not be here if it wasn't for these two guys. So Brandon, tell them how, Brandon, tell them how to reach you. You guys can follow me on Instagram and Twitter, Mr. Brando 3 M-R-B-R-A-N-D. Oh, three. I almost forgot how to spell that myself. Um, I'll keep you guys live <laughs> tweeting about all my pizza experiences and my sneaker rotations. Uh, you'll probably be bored after about three days and unfollow. So if you get bored with me, make sure you follow my boy Nick Engvall. What do you got, Nick? Uh, I'm at Nick Engvall, N-I-C-K-E-N-G-V-A-L-L on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, all that stuff. Um, Friendster. Yeah, I, yeah, Friendster, definitely. Friendster. <laughs> uh, Tinder. Yeah, hit me up on Tinder. Um, I, uh, Dude, I, you know this is mostly guys watching this, right? Oh, yeah, never mind. Don't hit me up on Tinder. <laughs> yeah, le- left swipe that. Left swipe that. Left swipe uh, that. <laughs> no, I, I definitely, I definitely don't, don't, don't. I diverge outside of pizza and sneakers a little too much and get political sometimes on Twitter. So just a forewarning. Yeah, both both of these guys. If you follow them on Instagram, they make me want to post more stuff about food. Between Brandon's pizza and Nick's Nick's Mexican food, like I'm severely lacking when it comes to my food game on Instagram. Anyway, this is outside the box. We appreciate you guys. Thank you for watching. Uh, again, if you have anything to say, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter or any of those places. Use the hashtag outside the box. And uh, yeah, let us know so we can keep the show going. What you guys want to know, what you guys want to talk about. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Peace.